0: Welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast, a podcast about, for, and by women in the field. On this episode, we're going to discuss mental health in the field of archaeology. That can be in contract archaeology, in the lab, in graduate schools, in government jobs, in teaching, in research, and so on. Uh, If approximately one in four people suffer from depression and or anxiety, why is there such a stigma surrounding mental health? And how can we make a more supportive field? For this discussion, I'm Emily Long, and I'm joined by my fellow hosts, Kirsten Lopez, Chelsea Slotten, and we have a guest for this episode, Alex Fitzpatrick, who has her own podcast, um, Archeo Animals, and Alex has joined us before to talk about the wonderful world of zoo archaeology on episode 45 of the podcast. Ladies, thank you for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for suggesting this
2: topic. I'm super excited yeah. about it.
0: Yeah, and I feel like, oh, we're so happy you're you, you're joining <laughs> us today. This is awesome. And it, it seems like there's more and more articles coming out lately about mental health in graduate school, mental health and field work of all kinds of jobs. And um, I didn't know if anyone particularly want to kind of get us going on what are common mental health issues that
1: we're seeing in our field. So I mean, I'll jump in with kind of grad school and, and academia and I think it's important. There's been a lot of work looking at grad student mental health, and I do think that that's really important. I have seen fewer studies on the mental health impacts of uh, the temporary contract laborers, being adjunct professors, um, and even just being on the tenure track and the and the stress of that and where your work is valued. So I think it's important to realize that this conversation kind of expands beyond grad school but a lot of the recent studies have shown that there's a 200 to a 400 percent increase in the likelihood of mental illness in grad students and people talk about it like oh it's just like the the phd life for the grad student experience like it's this this normal thing and there's um piled higher and deeper the phd comics which have been really popular and people kind of laugh about it but a lot of the things that they address are <laughs> overwhelming existential dread and the lack of involvement of faculty members that can make it really difficult to mm-hmm. progress or toxic work environments, um, the kind of culture of overwork and the the culture of constantly being being busy. I mean I myself done a lot of writing this weekend, but I've also done a lot of writing this weekend and it's the weekend.
0: And you should be doing
1: something. Right. And just this feeling of like never being good enough, not Being able to accomplish enough, not measuring up, worrying about financial security and the Mm -hmm. future of jobs and the fields. And I mean, it just it becomes kind of overwhelming and you get depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts really common in in grad Mm -hmm. school. And I'm super glad we're now talking about it not just kind of being like, oh, it's the grad school experience. Everything's fine because it's not. And it shouldn't be
0: supposed to be hard. But it shouldn't be mentally damaging.
1: Yeah, and
3: emotionally damaging.
2: Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And financially damaging. Oh boy! All the damages should not be. (laughs) Yeah. When, are you, when are you doing your episode about being in debt because i'd like to go on for that as well.
0: <laughs> oh boy i think we'll just be crying during that one we'll just be like i'm in debt forever
2: <laughs> i'm just gonna read out loud all of the uh, student uh loan bills that i keep getting in the mail. <gasps> that's
0: yeah. a great idea that would yeah. fill an hour i think
2: <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> that, yeah yeah
0: Oh man, that's
2: depressing.
0: Put that so, uh, <laughs> to topics like depression and anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing too, and I just kind of I want to note that it's not only the students that are struggling. Sometimes in graduate school, those who are non tenured um, academics at these places tend to be also struggling a lot with depression because of the workload, and they're not being supported. So how on earth are they supposed to be supporting their students who maybe needing support
1: I mean I think there are even tenure not people who have tenure but tenure track professors who are so Mm -hmm. pushed to you know you've got to publish more you've got to be this that and the other thing um I've I've heard advice given that you need to care less about your students and do less teaching load you know like basically sink or swim to your students um I've I've literally heard this advice being given to professors um so that they can get themselves through the the tenure track. So like it's it is also affecting people who have a more stable job. Um, the yeah. entire system mm-hmm. is broken.
3: And academia in general hasn't been doing so well or so hot in recent years. There's uh, at least one archaeology department that's been shut down, and I know there's threats of others being um, reduced. Ours recently in the last five years got combined with uh, language and sociology. So we're not our own, you know, standalone. I I mean, our department is within the school of uh, culture, society, and language. So the language department, uh, sociology, and ethnic studies are all squished in with anthropology. Um, which totally changed the feel of the program um, and also shrunk, to my understanding, funding and resources for anthropology. So even tenure track, depending on the university and the institution that they're in and the program and how important the larger institution really uh, how they feel about anthropology may or may not actually you know feel a sense of stability even though that they have a permanent position forever as a tenured professor if their position or department is eradicated you know I think that happened in Kentucky uh, about a year ago it's not like we have you know floods of techs coming out (laughs) I always feel like there's always a shortage of techs um but some of that is getting into the job instability that we'll get into in a little bit, but just as a, from a grad school perspective, it's easy to be, from my angle as well, um, being a grad student, it's easy to be like, oh, the, my advisor's got so much going on, he's just too busy and doesn't care. And I'm like, at the same time, I think, you know, my advisor's trying to keep the department afloat. Um mm-hmm. So. I
0: can't imagine how stressful that would be and how that would affect all the students. Yeah, that's, that's rough. Yeah, on many levels. Alex, you recently did a really cool thing for the public archaeology um, Twitter conference. And I, I will be providing will pro- be providing a link to that on our uh, on the podcast page called uh, digging while depressed a call for mental health awareness in archaeology. And it's seems like you're addressing a lot of these issues as well. Would you like to jump in?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, for the paper itself, it was a lot of it was uh, based on my own personal experience um, as a grad student who has done a bit of work in the field and does a bit of work in the lab. So, you know, that's really the only experience I can speak to, but because uh, at the time I was using the hashtag, datingwelldepressed, to talk about it, other people started chiming in with their experiences. So I was able to kind of cover as well uh, the commercial experience and people who, like you were saying, are in academia and are dealing with precarity and things like that. So, I mean, I think all these things end up having a lot of really common uh, issues that are causing the kind of mental stressors that we get, Uh, but they're definitely like very uh, distinguished uh, experiences as well. Like someone Mm -hmm. who is dealing with mental health issues in the field uh, and someone who's dealing with mental health issues, uh, say in the lab or as a grad student, uh, they probably have different uh, experiences with what kind of mental health issues they're specifically dealing with.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And looking at graduate graduate school, what do you think are the common elements that are making it difficult for archaeology students? And I mean, this is probably applied for a lot of graduate school experiences. What are the, the these things that are making it so difficult for students to be able to um, address mental health issues?
2: I mean, it. I think it really comes down to what's happening with the uh, university system as in general, how it's becoming a very marketized space mm-hmm. where you're not teaching people, you're providing a service to consumers. So no one cares about, you know. How these things are affecting both students and teachers? Uh, They just care that they're getting the numbers in. So as long as you know this amount of people are applying and this amount of people are uh, attending their university, that uh, higher ups don't care if everyone's Mm -hmm. you know depressed. And that's like it's a huge problem. And it is not just the mental health stuff that affects. It's a lot of other stuff. The fact that. We're not getting funding in a lot of places mm-hmm. anymore. That uh, departments are get, are closing up. It's just like it, the whole model really needs to be uh, completely uh, dismantled and recreated uh, in order to really solve these things at its core. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just, it, it's it's a mess. And I think the more, the longer I'm in grad school, the more like dissatisfied and disillusioned I am yeah. with it. That's true.
0: And I think for a lot of people's experience, granted, I didn't get my PhD, but even at the master's level, the pressure is insane for something that if looking back, I'm like, yeah, I, I see why, like, we wanted to hive performance and we want to do well, but why was I practically killing myself to mm-hmm. yeah. get, get
1: this master's, you know? <laughs> so, so I think part of that actually comes to the fact that Uh, it's what people kind of value. So I know as someone who went into academia, went into a PhD program with the idea that I wasn't necessarily going to try and go the traditional academic route. I've actually had a lot of problems trying to find mentors and having conversations with people in the minute that I'm like, Oh yeah, I don't know that I really want to go into the tenure system. they're like, well, why am I going to waste my time on you? Because that's, that's what's valuable. And when you have grad school or something that's set up to tell you that academia is valuable and kind of public work, outside work isn't as valuable, but by the way, only 5% of the people who graduate with a PhD in anthropology are ever going to get a full-time tenure track job that like all, all of a sudden you, you have to be, you know, valedictorian of the class kind of material if you want to get one of those jobs because they're they're so few and far between so we're saying you know a lot of academia says only this one thing is valuable and by the way it's harder and harder and harder to achieve and you have to be better and better and better and it sets up this like un. it's a no-win situation
0: yeah it's that's a really good point
3: <clears throat> pretty ridiculous the way that it's developed And some of it, I think, it's it's a combination, at least how I can perceive of it. And you guys can jump in um, on this. But it's it's like academia is a really old institution. It's one of the few institutions worldwide that's pretty much the same everywhere. Um, there are some differences, of course, and some major and some minor differences. But by and large, it is the same institution that grew in Europe in the Middle Ages. Like there isn't it's changed over time. But that's like there are very few institutions that are still around since then, other than like the church churches like and even some of those have, you know, born anew you since. Um, and I feel like trying to impose the idea of the American free market system on something that was set up to be outside of the realm of a market. It's not meant to function in a market. So when you impose the market on it, it starts to fail, but then everyone inside has been trained so hard to cling to these ideals that it is not part of the market system and it creates these really weird stressors that are unique, I think, to academia and not really the same elsewhere. Uh, there's obviously lots of mental health stressors getting into um, the rest of archaeology. And some of that, I think, is just a byproduct of a master's degree basically being a requirement.
0: Mm-hmm. and For such little pay.
3: it doesn't make any sense
0: it's like we're gonna pay you 15 dollars an hour to dig a hole but you have to have a master's and it's like
1: what yeah it's just the amount of debt that is associated with higher education and if you've got a field that doesn't pay well that requires higher education you're setting people up to have a lot of stressors in their lives trying so
0: to for this segment um On a somewhat positive note, um, what do we think needs to change, at least with graduate school? What are some realistic things that can be done either by departments? I mean, like you were saying, Kirsten, like it's highly, everything's highly monetized. And Alex, you were saying that as well. And what are some realistic changes that potentially a department or professors or students can make to try to create a more positive atmosphere that's supportive of one thing that doesn't you know push mental health issues in the first place but is can be actually supportive
2: i was just gonna say i mean a lot of it i feel like has to do with reallocating a lot of that money and Mm -hmm. i feel like that's definitely something that can't be done at department levels that has to be done on a you know institutional level just by having more support and more you know um like support mechanisms in place into the actual framework of uh, the university would do so much to help. Um, it is a really, it, it ends up being a finances thing because a lot of the stuff that stresses us out about being in academia or being in grad school has to do with money, whether mm-hmm. it's waiting to be paid or not having money to pay or, you know, not having money to do research and having to apply for a million different grants. I mean, one
1: thing <laughs> I would like to see on this, this money, it's not, I mean, some of it like news. St- New systems, new ways of doing things is, are necessary. Um, you know, travel grants, for example, anything that's reimbursing you rather than paying it up front means that you have to have mm. that money up front. But yeah, um, you know, I actually and no one does, no one does. But I, I got a travel grant. It wasn't a, a large one to attend a conference last year, which was great. But they, on purpose, send physical checks, which take longer to get places. Um, oh. and, oh you know, I've sent a couple emails because I was shortchanged, um, oh. because they only looked at one of my receipts rather than two of them. Oh. So, you know, just trying to, to follow up and, and all of a sudden that's hours of my life that I'm spending, you know, checking my accounts, checking my receipts, making sure I've sent them everything, sending follow-up emails. That's time That quite frankly, like I need to be working on my dissertation you know but I also budgeted having that money in my bank account um even if you can just make the systems that exist now work the way
2: they're supposed to that'd be great Mm -hmm. yeah a check like a physical check like what is it 1980 I don't think I've ever I can't remember the last time I held a check in my hands yeah I'm not gonna lie I love writing checks I don't know how to write a check anymore. I did that like <laughs> when I was 13 in uh, Home ac and I could not do it now oh. if my life depended on it.
3: Yeah, I'm one of the holdouts too, Emily. I write checks for my most of my bills and send them out. There's
0: something very like satisfying, being like, I'm putting it in the mail. Who yeah. yeah. are you people? I'm I don't
2: know a what. weird old
0: woman <laughs> trapped in a... 34 year old body there's so much about it. i'm like i need to go do some more crocheting today and bake some cookies
1: <laughs> no i i well, some i've also used checks but like there's also i mean so many people in grad school travel right they're in oh, the no, field. It's so true and if you're only paying people over the summer when they're in the field and you know what if there's only a 30 day you know this check is good for 30 days past stamping right and oh. They should just do direct deposit because if universities already have
0: access to that, why wouldn't they just right. do
1: that? But, but they don't seem to want to, and it just becomes this this battle, and it, it shouldn't be.
0: Yeah,
3: no, especially if you are getting direct deposit for many loans. There's no reason in like I'm granted. I realize they're completely separate departments most of the time between like your student funding and then the grants or whatever, but like your information's in the system. There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to link those two departments in the same institution to expedite the che- checks. Um, you know, I can imagine some of it has to do with security issues and software, blah, 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 but if they're this giant institution that's, they're trying to convince you to go to their institution because they're so advanced, they need to have their basic shit in order
1: in my humble and you can opinion. Give people the option to opt out of direct deposit, right? You can yeah. say like, no, I do not want a direct deposit and that's fine. But to just just force and people to do one one thing that's not particularly efficient, and then to also have them wait months, you know, like they do payouts starting once a year, that's surprise in the summer. But it's <laughs> For the, the year from like the previous summer, you know, it's like a May to April thing. And then they'll disperse in May for the previous year. But if you went somewhere in May of the previous year, you're still not getting paid till May of the next year. Like, oh that's, that's crazy. crazy.
0: It is. And that's a stressor that is just not necessary. There are enough things going on in graduate school that money shouldn't always have to be a constant struggle and fear and worry. It just exasperates everything else. Yeah. I think that's um, a really great point in terms of, you know, schools can do a lot better in terms of getting people paid back, trying to figure out better funding mechanisms, trying to put money where it's actually needed instead of kind of making this more of a market system or making people marketable. I don't know the the right term for that, monetizing graduate school. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say. Mm Um, so on that note, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk about our mental health in the field. Okay, great. during this break, why not check out the Women in Archaeology blog and see the types of posts we've been putting up over the last two years. We have been discussing many different types of topics, from surveys that have been done in the field on what archaeologists are experiencing, all the way to just random subjects that interest us at this time. You can also see the backlog of episodes, and it's also a way you can contact us about your interest in the episode and any topics you would like us to cover sometime. Again, thanks for listening. Welcome back. Before we jump into the topic about field work and the stressors that can really bring on, that can be really triggering for a lot of folks in the field, uh, we're going to talk quickly about advisors in graduate school and how can that can make a huge difference on the experience and how one can uh, work through their mental health issues, so.
1: Yeah, so I mentioned this briefly during the break to the, the other panelists, but as stressful as it can be to be adjunct term or tenure track faculty member, I think faculty need to do a better job of realizing their own limitations and letting students know about them. You know, there's so many advisors who hear about a project and they're super gung-ho about it for the first six weeks. And then you're lucky if you see them once a year for the next one to 10 years, depending on what kind of degree you're doing. And it's hard to look at something and say, oh, I'm fascinated by this, but I really don't have time. But I think that there are a lot of advisors who are essentially managers, um, who didn't necessarily get any managerial training. Yeah. But it's really, really important to, to be frank with your students about where your head's at and what you're capable of, because I, I don't know that many of them are trying to cause mental health problems to their students, but everyone I talk to has had at least one terrible experience with one advisor, just not answering emails, not communicating not filling out forms when they need to and when you're paying potentially thousands of dollars or pounds or whatever the currency is a year to do something and you're not able to progress because you can't get the person who's supposed to be helping guide you through this process to do their job you just you feel helpless and you don't feel like you can push back a lot necessarily on an individual because if they don't help you or don't want to write you good letters of recommendation you are going to have problems progressing and I don't think a lot of advisors are bad people I just don't think that they realize how damaging their behavior is and they need to be aware of that and they need to do better with all the stressors going on in their own lives I am sympathetic I have taught but
0: but then they need to be realistic about what they can and cannot do
3: Yeah. Well, and honestly, like Chelsea was mentioning, like none of these people, these professors, tenure track or otherwise, have managerial training. I have never seen a university give their faculty managerial training, which they need to have because essentially that's what they're doing. And if they don't know how to, you know attend to uh, confrontation or problems in a healthy manner if their system is typically avoidance, which I see a lot with academics, that doesn't make the problem go away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that would probably help ease out, make it easier for those um, faculty to be more communicative and to be more comfortable with saying no to applicants. Um, especially if they don't get very many, but they happen to have several in a row, um, it, you know, for a few years in a row. And, you know, I've, I've seen people take on a lot, especially if they recently landed a tenure-track job and then they have nine grad students and can't really give the attention that they that is needed to to facilitate each graduate's timely graduation, for example. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely... In agreement, and would like to promote management skills in faculty training.
0: I think that would make a big difference in moving moving us towards a, a different topic in terms of a different kind of management system. We're looking at <laughs> um, field work, contract archaeology, anytime really. You're in these um, situations for long periods of time that can be incredibly isolating. Um, like I said, whether contract archeology, uh, months of field work, that kind of thing. And I've done a lot of contract archeology span myself and having general anxiety disorder and depression, it can be a dangerous thing to have too much time with one's own thoughts. Being on a schedule that's like eight days on six days off. You don't really get time, really real time to rest. Um, you may not have access to healthy food or good sleep. You can be in a belittling environment if you're with a a a bad crew chief who doesn't treat their uh their techs very well um a lot of these things can really compound mental health issues and looking at blog posts and articles about field work it seems like a lot of these things really come out on these long isolating projects and that when you see the high level of mental health issues and potentially drug and alcohol abuse, it's not really surprising considering that type of lifestyle where you're constantly in different areas, different people, potentially isolated, a bad, one bad person can really change the environment. And let's say you don't have enough of your medication. Let's say if you're undiagnosed, let's say all of these little things can really compound a mental health issue. So jump in
2: (laughs) yeah I mean definitely and I think also the kind of unique aspect of field work in general where you it's way easier to have a like injury or some other kind Mm -hmm. of physical like stressor which can compound um your mental health situation like the um the paper that I presented at the Public Archaeology Twitter Conference I started with um, the last year when I was digging and I had an injury on the first day, uh, oh. which completely like took me off of excavating for the rest of the three weeks that we were uh, up in Scotland, and it really it really does a number on your mental health. Like I are, have mm-hmm. depression and an anxiety disorder uh, as well. Um, <laughs> and uh just doesn't it suck yeah it sucks just gonna put that out
0: there it's, it's like awful. oh
2: man it's like I feel bad and also I'm stressed out that I feel bad all the time exactly like and you're you... like I'm
0: sorry I feel bad that I have this thing that I have no control of
2: it's a horrible cycle that just feeds off each other <laughs> but yeah um <laughs> the thing about like getting injured on site and stuff is that we have this mentality of like you have to be tough and ready for anything and you can't complain and it has to be a struggle so if you get mm-hmm. like taken out of the equation for even just a day or like a second you can immediately start feeling like I'm not good enough I'm not a real archaeologist I'm, I'm never going to be able to get a job because I can't even handle being in the field you know stuff like that and it, it it I think there is a culture as well that kind of uh perpetuates that thinking uh, mm-hmm. whether or not we intentionally do it like we see that on twitter all the time people putting posts that are like oh if you never experienced digging in the rain you're not a real archaeologist and i guess that like, i get you that don't they're have like to dig in the rain why yeah. just call it off yeah. for the day
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, unless you're in the northwest because it's always raining. Oh, that's a good point
2: <laughs> yeah I'm, right. the, I'm in the <laughs> desert <That's> like, so
3: <laughs> if we if we were to dig in the rain we'd only be digging between like june and august yeah okay <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but Alex, you're totally right. It's that like yeah. that mentality of like you just push through it, and it's like what if you're hurt? Yeah. What if all yeah, I re- yeah.
2: That, I refer to it the
3: oh, machismo. Sorry. That's all right. The machismo does no good for anyone. Exactly. I mean, that's that's something that you know. Archaeology is not the only field that has struggled with that. True. My mm-hmm. uh, family is somewhat close to the construction industry. My grandfather was an ocean inspector for like excavation and blasting in California and he recently passed but he really always enjoyed sharing with me his experiences and the safety mentality that kind of went with that and you know any construction crew is going to have a certain amount of machismo and part of his job was kind of battling that and being like you know, you can be all tough until you fall off that ladder that you're standing on top of, and then you're not working for another year. Like, you get injured, you're out. Like, that's not fun. Um, yeah, and
1: one more person. The general attitude
3: around OSHA in archaeology is similar. Like,
1: I'm a bioarchaeologist. A lot of what I do is in labs, right? I like being in the lab. Woo-hoo, just gonna put that out there. Same. Um, you know, I've been on on digs uh, a couple different places around and. I Talk to archaeologists and things, and if I hear one more time the equivalent of rub some dirt in it, you'll be fine. <laughs> like, no, 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 there's some rubbing alcohol over there, there's some water, you should wash it out, you should sterilize it, you know. Like, th- no, <laughs> you know, because like archaeology is hard on your bodies, we've talked about this in other episodes, mm-hmm. right? So, you need to take care of them, and this culture that is so damaging to your mental health can also be damaging to your physical health. And it all plays together. And it, and it does, it rolls in. in. So take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You only have one body.
3: If especially if you're wanting to continue to do this for a while, you, you have to, um, I mean, I had heat stroke a number of years ago out in the field and my field supervisor did not deal with it well. Um, I didn't actually realize how bad it was until I got to the doctor's office about a week later when I got home, and I had sustained liver damage. Oh, Oh my gosh. That's not a small, you know, Mm -hmm. thing to be like, eh, you'll be fine. Just go sit and drink some Gatorade. Like, I couldn't form sentences, and I had stopped sweating. Like, those are some of the telltale signs. so dangerous.
0: And so imagine then with something that's even harder to see – in maybe one of your texts where it's like, are you, I don't know, like as, a, as a crew chief, I feel like I've had to say to, to text before, like, are you okay? Something doesn't seem right. And it can be insulting. It can be hard to be that invasive. But I feel like in these fields where whether it's contract archaeology or a field school, if you're not asking people and checking in with them, maybe yeah. letting something slide that could be dangerous. Like there are times I wish somebody had asked me, like, are you okay? And it's like, no, I think I have heat stroke and I'm freaking out about stuff. You know, and um, I'm I've I've seen I've met with really good crew chiefs and I've met with really bad crew chiefs where you can yeah. run the gamut on these things where there's no understanding for physical limitations and potentially mental limitations. Like you can only do so much.
1: And yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, if, if you guys have any thoughts about that. I would like to throw out a, a subsection of field work being field school and mental mm-hmm. health. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there are some people who do, who run field schools and have also done field work and they kind of run field schools like regular field work, not like you're training people. But mm-hmm. if you've got a bunch of, you know, 18 to, Uh, 22 23 year olds or there are also some programs that make archaeological excavation accessible to you know kids in high school um but if if you've got these individuals on a field school this may be the first time that they're out of the country if it's out of the country maybe the first time that they're more than 300 miles from home you know Mm -hmm. so like check in about being homesick about the culture shock Um, I think it's something that archaeologists and anthropologists often tend to take for granted because we're, we're trained in it, but like, we all had to get that training somewhere and having a little bit of support while you're doing it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, valuable.
2: Wow, really I feel point. like you're uh, calling me out uh, on my field school uh, <laughs> experience uh, back when I was an undergrad, uh, which I made even worse because I dated someone who was on, <laughs> in the field school with me. Bah, so, bah, bah. Oh, yeah, it was just like, how could I make this even worse for my mental health? <laughs> it was pretty impressive, really. I should, <laughs> that should be like a text that people use to, you know, look back on.
0: Well, that's the funny thing, too, about field schools. I look back and there were so many dangerous situations where I'm like, why weren't things better taken? Like, I remember us being told we all had to get tetanus shots because there was so much exposed rebar and people were getting – their shins were getting gouged. So it's like, why not cover the damn rebar, you know, type of thing. Or um, pretty much every student got heat exhaustion and a few, including myself, got heat stroke. They did nothing. Mm. They're just like, just put them in the yeah. shade, give them some salty water, you know, and yeah. and the mental health aspect of it, too. It's like we did not have healthy food. We did not have good access to sleep. Um, we, It's just there was never any rest. So how are you supposed to be healthy mentally or physically? Um, yeah, I think yeah. it would be a good idea, to Don't get me wrong. I love my field oh, school.
3: Um, yeah. Um, and I've taught a couple field schools and I enjoyed my field school. My field school was particularly small. So there was a lot of care and attention. We were also bunked in a bunkhouse. We weren't in, um, tents. Uh, when I taught field school, we were in tents and both field schools were amazing. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, trade them for the world, but I definitely think that more conscious discussion of, um, attending to one's own health and uh, really kind of rejecting the ideal of the machismo, like just push through it stuff um, would be a good start. Because if we're teaching these kids like from the beginning, oh, you can do it. You just got to push through it. Then that's what we're going to There's know. one situation where I told someone to tough it out, and that was blisters. Mm-hmm. And that was like, I can bandage you up all I can you know, all I can, but I'm like, your hands are so soft and unused to manual labor. You're just going to have, I'm like, they will toughen up, but you will have to get through that. Like, so Mm -hmm. that's, I guess I'm going to make that exception explicit, but like, (laughs) generally speaking, like anything with heat, physical pain, like you, they need to be attended to. And even with the blisters, like you get enough blisters, you bandage them up, you Mm -hmm. try and do something like paperwork for a day or two (laughs) until it heals up properly, but like, you know, yeah, field school, you will get blisters. That's that's part of that. Um, You've made
1: a little bit of an interesting point there um, that we need to teach people to take care of themselves from the beginning. And mm-hmm. I just want to make sure that, like, we're not trying to drag anyone who's done it differently because the reason a lot of people mm-hmm. now say, you know, toughen up or don't know how to deal with heat stroke or mental health issues in the field is because they were never taught that that was important exactly um, and so, so they're if, doing what they were taught and i think we need to have a conversation about changing the norms but mm-hmm.
0: and so that's bash ha- it. so it has to happen at like the department level it has to happen and i think for contract archaeology then it has to happen at the business level at like mm-hmm. the company because yeah. you can't have healthy Physically or mentally, people, they don't they can't afford health care and you're not providing health care. If you're not providing yeah. realistic pay that's actually at the same level as, um, you know, what what you should have for your education, you can't afford um, health care of that kind or good working conditions. Um, recognition that this is skilled work. People should be treated and paid accordingly, that they should have yeah. sick days with pay. Um yeah. And not allow staff to belittle their techs if the tech is like i don't know what's wrong i i i i'm hurt um i i need x y and z and not just be like walking off where it's mm-hmm. where it, it could yeah. be something much bigger
1: i think just like a an idea of certainty and i know that this isn't necessarily common in the crm world And i understand that projects can get pushed back and things can change but if someone signs up with you to be on a temporary contract with you for two weeks or two months, and then the start date keeps getting pushed, if they've planned, and this is like coming back to finances, but if they've planned to be working for that period to be able to pay their bills, and all of a sudden you as an employer are like, oh, well, nope, it's not going to start till next week, or it's not going to start till the week after, or I don't know when it's going to start. like That's really, really stressful. So I think archaeology needs to do a better job of of going to companies and say like if you contract us to do this work starting on this date even if it gets pushed back like you need to start paying us on this date so that we can pay our employees and if it means that you pay us more money because you pay us to do nothing for a week um but like i can't i can't have employees not getting paid and not being covered by health insurance and Mm -hmm. you know it's just not feasible
0: Alex, do you think there's anything that you recognize as something that needs to change for um, a healthier fieldwork environment?
2: I mean, I think it's just normalizing the fact, especially with mental health uh, in particular, to normalize the fact that those are genuine conditions and they're not something that you can walk off. Like After I like first brought up the whole uh, digging while depressed thing, uh, a couple people reached out to me who do commercial work here in the UK, and we're saying like, oh, you know, our, our organizations actually just installing like mental health policies into our health and safety, which is, you know, it's that's a really positive thing to be seeing. And hopefully that gets picked up and becomes more normalized that's across really the cool. sector. Yeah. Cool. And I think a lot of what to do with the issues we have when it comes to mental health conditions, especially in the field, is that, uh, and, and to be honest, even in like academia stuff is that there's that still weird uh, illegitimacy thing of like, oh, it's not a big deal, you know, like, I mean, mm. like, I-, I love my parents, but they're still very weird about <laughs> the fact that I have <laughs> depression, and I take like antidepressants and stuff, mm. like, because c- it just like, you know, it it's still kind of considered like not a big deal, like, you know, My my growing up, my mom was the kind of person who was like, if you're not bleeding out, uh, you're not going to the doctor. Uh, (laughs) So like the idea of something very intangible being wrong with me, uh, uh, I think she's still kind of struggling to grasp. And I think that's the case for a lot of people where they're just like, oh, you're just sad. You know, or you're just like, you're just worrying too much, like chill out. And like, believe me, I would love to chill out. Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't it be great? I would uh, love to have a a moment of chill to be out like (laughs) i feel that yep that's a good point
1: you know mental health issues are just like uh any other health issue you you may have i mean like we all i wear glasses i have to wear them constantly i need them if i don't wear them i will run into you it won't be fun for any of us it's constant it's something i'm going to be doing for the rest of my life and that's viewed as okay and we need to get that same kind of acceptance around you know mental health because it is a health issue
0: Mm -hmm. i think it's a really good point to end on and let's take a quick break and when we get back we'll talk about what helps us get through some of our mental health issues some advice and stuff like that during the break why not check out the women in archaeology patreon account And there you can learn how to support the Women in Archaeology podcast and blog, and check out some of the blog posts we've been posting on our blog. You can see the different ways to become a patron of the Women in Archaeology, from $2 to $5 to $10, or even just showing your support and interest is always great. Thank you very much for listening, and hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. This segment, we're gonna talk a little more about the mental health issues in archaeology, but how we get through them, how, what advice we give to others who may be struggling uh, through fieldwork, through graduate school, and things that we can do to help one another to just create a supportive environment to make mental health less of a stigma. Um, I can get it started for me. I know in graduate school, a huge thing that helped me a lot. And I know it's practically impossible to find the time, but my cohort, we would occasionally, we try to go once a week, we'd go to the college Zumba class, both Uh. the, the men and women in my cohort. And so I think getting exercise and feeling like you're doing something silly because the instructor would just yell, no shame, everybody, just shake it. No shame. And (laughs) <laughs> There's just something great about that. And so that really helped. And then just that whole attitude of just like, treat yourself. And I know for me, it was reading like a really stupid, trashy romance novel. Which is just like, I felt like it yes. was a brain break where it just, like, yeah. so my brain had an opportunity to just be like, a bleh. And so I think graduate school wise, in terms of helping me get through with my anxiety and my depression and trying to not get into those spirals, which, you know, you just, you just kind of fall into and you're like, I can't get out would be exercise, sleep, take your meds. If you, if you're on them, not saying go get meds, but if if you need them, them. Um, and then just do something that helps you feel better. I think it's incredibly important. And then for those contracting jobs, you're in a hotel, take something you enjoy doing. For me, it was crochet. Treat yourself to a good meal. Make sure you sleep. Things like that, I think, can really help, especially if you're not always in the greatest environment. You can at least create an environment for yourself to thrive. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, in When I worked in CRM in contract work, uh, some of the best things that helped was finding a buddy. Um, and obviously not every crew you're going to have someone you like but on the rare occasion you do it's nice to be social and i think that helped a lot um on times when i was on cruise where people were really kind of antisocial and everyone after work just went to the hot- their hotel rooms for the last 4 hours of the day and drank and watched tv like there wasn't a whole i didn't really feel open to express concerns. It was harder, uh, that whole like machismo and stigma around any issues was more magnified, um, on crews where I could find someone that like we went to the same school or, you know, we had something in common getting a beer or something after work a couple of us would actually on one crew, um, would go adventuring afterwards. Um, so we'd go survey for 10 hours and then go like hike, uh, somewhere interesting. Um, that was like an hour or less away from where we were staying and
0: find the energy. (laughs) (laughs) I
3: I was still like in my thirties. So that's, I don't know. I think some of it was the, the social time and it wasn't anything intensive it was just a place that was pretty or interesting. Um, there's a place here in Oregon called Crack in the Ground, um, which is really a fascinating little place to stop in. Uh, and it's not excruciating. It's a very short little hike. It's hardly a hike. It's more like a walk through this uh, geologic structure. But just finding something interesting to do after work with a co-worker, because so I think some of it, one of the reasons why it feels so isolating is a lot of the nature of contract work becomes very um, isolating physically as well as emotionally, especially when people don't socialize. So it doesn't have to be like if you can find a way to socialize without alcohol involved, that's even better um, because you're conscious and aware and making good choices. And with grad school, and I know, so there's a couple of things that I find myself in a different situation. Um, So I, have a teenage child. So that really grounds me um, away from school stuff. I you know, make sure that I find the time to not be 100% absorbed in my schoolwork, even if it's just helping her with schoolwork. So having something to come back to, if you don't have a family already built, don't go make a new one. <laughs> but like, you can do volunteering in something that doesn't have to do with work. For sure, that's a great idea. Um, and just doing something that's outside of your work environment, going to shows, being social with friends that, I mean, you can, my cohort, you know, you can, you can socialize with your cohort, which is great. But if you can find someone else to also socialize with like once a month, that is not part of your cohort that you can see in a physical space and do something different. It really helps Mm -hmm. break up a lot of the overwhelm because, Inevitably, when you're hanging out with your cohort or other people in your field, you're going to end up talking shop. And that does not really decrease the stress all the time, especially if that's the only way that you're socializing. So those are my my two things. I, I do have to also put in the disclaimer that I have a stipend grant that is very good. So my stress level is tampered a lot by that. I'm not accruing debt right now, and that's where I think it is really, really, really important for departments to not take on students if they don't have funding. I did my first year of grad school with no funding, and my stress level skyrocketed, and actually my body's like, oh, you have so much stress, we're going to give you new allergies. (laughs) So (laughs) it's... You know, uh, learning to to find a way to to kind of kill um, some of those stressors is is important, but those those are my my tidbits that I can think of at the moment.
1: Oh, those are great. Yeah. so I would say, um, and I think that this is gonna mimic some of what other people have said. I, I don't have a child. Uh, I do have a dog that I lovingly refer to as my fur child is more difficult if you're doing contract or if you're traveling all over the place. Um, I'm in grad school. I'm a little more sedentary and I'm lucky in that I have people around me who are willing to take care of my dog if I do have to travel for work and they do an excellent uh, job spoiling her rotten. But having something in your life that pulls you out of stress, anxiety, you know, because like my dog has to get walked four times a day, you know, minimum. Um, she has to be fed breakfast and dinner. And needing to feed her twice a day is a really good, you know, reminder for me to be like, okay, Chelsea, maybe you skipped lunch, but like you should eat something. When was the last time you ate? Um, you know, just getting getting out of the house, going for, I you mean, know, it's just a short walk, but something to, to ground you a little bit. And I think the other thing that's really important is – to give yourself a break, yes. and I think that this is this holds true, no matter whether you are in academia, whether you're doing field school, uh, field work, you know CRM. If you are in a high stressful business environment, and just listen to this podcast because archaeology is cool. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Well, we appreciate your listenership. But, right, you're. No one is on. 24 7 right you're gonna have bad minutes and bad hours and bad days and bad weeks and maybe bad months or bad years beating yourself up telling yourself that you should be doing more when you're not capable of it is not helpful yeah um you know a, a couple weeks ago i just um i'm very adhd and you know sometimes my brain works and sometimes it doesn't <laughs> Um, you know, want to, want to focus on the things that it needs to focus on. And I had three or four days in a row where my brain just didn't want to do anything um, that it needed to for my, my PhD. And it can be really, really hard not to to get down on yourself and be like, Oh no, like you should be able to do this. And why can't you? And, and that's a really easy cycle to fall into, but it, it drags everything else out and you know, you need to be able to say, you know what? Today is not a day for PhDing. Today is a day for making bread. Yes. Or going on a hike with, with my dog and, and to be okay with that. It's something that I am still working on. And um, I realize that it's easy to say and very hard to do, mm-hmm. but I think it's super, super important. There are enough stressors from, from everyone else you need to be kind to yourself. Yeah. I think
3: that's a really, really good point. And it's, it is very difficult and it's taken me years to figure that one out. I'm still working on it myself. Um, but yeah, self-forgiveness and also the ability to get back on that horse. Like I fell off the wagon. Perseverance. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I fell off the wagon for a week or two or something happened and I wasn't able to focus. Okay. So where do we go from here? How can, you know, how can I d- get to where I want to, or I lost this much time. What is a new deadline de- uh, deadline that I need to create for myself rather than trying to say, play catch up on three chapters that you need to have written by the end of next week. It's not going to happen.
0: <laughs> like, and that's okay. Forgive yourself. Exactly. Like, give yourself the room to say, hey, it's okay, I'll get it done, it's fine,
3: it's fine. Yeah, you have plenty of time, so long as you take care of yourself, like, there's no, as as you know, my dear mother used to say to me, and I say to my daughter as well, the more you are in a rush, the longer it's going to take,
0: Hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. so slow down. <laughs> 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 and it'll go yes. by in the time it needs to. So,
2: well, I mean, you guys covered a lot of it, but uh, one thing I was gonna say, kind of related to uh, the idea of like giving yourself a break, is I think it's also good to have other people who are like on the outside, who you trust and know your situation, um, to. Also, be like, you know, hey, you've done a lot. You need to chill out. Like I, I think it's really easy to not realize, especially if you have like self-esteem issues, like I do. Um, I think it's really easy, especially with like stuff like grad school and PhD work, to feel like you're not, you're never doing enough. And, mm-hmm. um, luckily, like my partner is really great, and there's been times where uh, I've always felt like I'm so behind. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing as much as I should be. And he's like sat me down. He's like actually you've been working in your office for the past eight hours and you need to take a break now or just stop because you're going to burn yourself out. And I actually, um, I'm very lucky to also have supervisors who are very conscious of that, too, where the, I've literally gotten emails from supervisors that have been like, Alex, you need to chill out and take like the next week off because you're doing too much. And we'd rather see you like maybe take a little bit longer time than to burn yourself out. And I think. Uh, related to that, is um, if you're in a good enough space to do it, so, I would say that if you're in grad school and you are having a lot of issues mental health-wise, just to be open with it, if you can. I know some supervisors are, you know, you might be stuck with a supervisor who's not good and you don't trust, and, like, I totally understand that, but, like, when I I, I literally had a nervous breakdown (laughs) during the beginning of my PhD, and... Mm -hmm. Like, luckily, my supervisors reached out to me because they're like, no one's seen you for a month. Like, are you OK? And I was like, no, I haven't left my apartment for a month. Uh, and so we had a talk and they were just like, listen, we need you to do what you have to do to get yourself better. If that means you have to go to the doctor, if you need another month off mm-hmm. to like, get used to your meds. And like it was so good. And they've always been really good at making sure that my mental health has been good, even while I'm doing all my PhD work. So I think uh, before that, you know, I was trying to keep it a secret and try to ignore the fact that I was like literally losing my mind uh, over the period of a few months um and it just came to a head and they obviously noticed something was wrong but i think if you can find yourself in a space where you have that kind of trust with your supervisor or you know tutor or whatever um i think just being upfront and being like hey there's been a lot of stuff going on and i'm struggling like if anything they can help rearrange stuff so that it's a little less stuff on your chest and things like that mm-hmm. um yeah but yeah, like I know I de- but I also am so aware that that's not everyone's reality. like I've mm-hmm. definitely been there with working with people who like I was like I knew I could not tell them that kind of stuff because it might screw things up but you know yeah. if, if it's there that then t- you definitely take advantage of it and definitely just be open mm-hmm. about it.
3: Yeah and there are resources on some university campuses um, for things like at Oregon State it's called caps. Um, But it's basically uh, counseling and psychological services uh, for grad students and Mm -hmm. all students generally, but they have a specialized group of people who work with grad students. So um, those are good resources. So obviously, if you're a grad student, you have something to do with a university institution. So it's worth checking into what kind of um, psychological or counseling services they might have available um, or other community services for people in similar high stress, high work, high stress, high pressure work situations. There we go.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, one no. One, I mean, one, my supervisor— Oh, sorry. Um, I was gonna say my supervisors were actually really good, and they like got me in contact with whoever I needed to contact at the our university. To nice. sign up for counseling and everything. Like, uh, that was like literally like A plus supervising. I yeah. will always be thankful for that because I'm, I'm aware that there's definitely a lot of supervisors out there who would have just let me fall by the wayside or just said, you know what, you're not ready for this. Like, just go. Um, yeah. But it was That's so awesome. nice to have someone there to be like, it's not, this isn't a failure of your ability to be an academic, this is just something that you're dealing with, and we need to make sure that you are in the right headspace and health health status to uh, mm-hmm. keep going, yeah. it has nothing yeah. to do with the fact that, you know, we're not saying you're not a good PhD student, we're just saying you have conditions that need to be met, and we're going to accommodate you, and I think that's, like, the big thing is, like, you need to get your accommodations, you need to, mm-hmm. you, people need to accommodate people who have these kind of issues, uh, if yeah. we we're going to ever get any positive, you know, progress on this kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Yeah. Um, there are a lot well, of yeah. resources out there, too. Um, there's the, the blog, website, community <clears throat> posting called The Mighty. And they have a lot of resources on anxiety, depression, and other mental health issues. Um, And it's a very supportive community in their articles. And I've found that helpful, especially when trying to explain, like, what like how it works in my head it's not like i'm just having a hard day it's like
3: yeah like
0: i can't just think positively like this is how my brain is functioning right now and so there are a lot of great resources yeah. like that out there too like alex like you're saying with your supervisors if if you need to explain to your supervisors your advisors or anything or your family there are resources out there be like this
1: is what's going on mm-hmm. <laughs> type of thing too yeah i mean i think it's also important for for people who are around people who might be having some mental health difficulties to realize that you can't always explain it and pushing someone for a lot of information if they're not in the right headspace can be really difficult. Yeah. So also understand that like, if someone just says I'm having a hard day, like there might be something else going on there and be sensitive to that. Right. You shouldn't, need to bury your soul to people to get compassion. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Because yeah, you may not be able to actually explain what's wrong and that can make it worse. It's like, I don't know why I'm feeling this way.
2: And I think that I just am. yeah, and I think that yeah. goes into the legitimacy thing we were talking about earlier in that we, don't, we shouldn't have to prove it, you know? Yeah. There's still that thing of, like, you know, it, it, like it's how some people talk about it as, like, an invisible disability or invisible illness. It's, like, I can't show you that I'm... My brain is just wired differently. Like, I, I can't physically show that to you. So just you need to, like, trust me and know, like, yeah. I know what's best for me. And if that means mm-hmm. I can only work, you know, a certain amount of days or I need like this day specific day to myself you know you just if you can accommodate me
0: there are these uh, two cartoons that I love one is introvert doodles and like like mm-hmm. the struggles of an introverted person who may have anxiety as well and all the stuff and it's like one is badges of like I went outside today you know it's like gold star you know and they're, they're pretty great and then another one it's um, Chuck or like uh chuck draws things and she talks about her issues with depression and anxiety through cartoons of pigeons
3: oh and, yeah and I've seen this
0: one. Like, like one and it's just like it's it's they're poignant in a way that's like i could literally give this cartoon to my husband and be like this is what's going on in my head right now just with pigeons and- <laughs> like there's one I haven't pulled up it's like another pigeon's going wow you drew that and these two little like an angel and devil um, pigeon go on uh, the other pigeon's shoulders and it's like deny it you suck or just say thank you and the little angel goes to the devil and says listen bitch this self-deprecating shit is getting old it's time to be confident now piss off and the little devil goes away and um, the the pigeon with the, the mental health issues goes well thank you I work very hard to the the pigeon complimenting them and the little angel saying fuck yeah you do and so it's like getting into your own headspace and be like I need to be confident I can do this it's like yes yeah you encapsulated exactly how I feel yeah <laughs> yeah that's
3: definitely been something that I've had to be had to work on um and I've been working on a lot recently is just taking a compliment and leaving mm-hmm. it at that
1: Mm-hmm, and not be yeah. like,
3: oh well, you know, I only did this, or it wasn't that great, or like having an explanation for why it may not be amazing. And I'm like, no, just just say thank you and stop, <laughs> 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 and just sit in it. And it's uncomfortable, yeah,
1: it is. but it's
3: it is it's been something I've been practicing for like the last couple months, and that's yeah,
1: it's good. You can take it a step further and say. Thank you. I worked really hard on this. I'm glad you noticed. Yes, that is the next step. (laughs) Really, really own it. That's advanced,
2: advanced, uh, confidence.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems
0: like clearly, I mean, a big thing with all of this is just treating yourself kindly, giving yourself the space to do what you need to do. Ladies, do you have any closing thoughts about our topic today? Um,
3: I would say, um, when you do figure out what's going on or when you do notice that something's wrong, not being afraid to speak out for your needs. Like Alex was saying, like, I need a day off. I need to take a break. I need to have a lighter workload or I would really like to work on this other project. And honestly, the anxiety of whether you're going to give it to me or not is giving me like you know palpitations so just speaking your needs and your desires for things that will help you be the better you and sometimes that can be hard to identify but I think working on identifying that and then speaking about it is
1: good I would say just know that you your thoughts and feelings are valid and they deserve to be respected yeah especially I mean all the time but especially when you don't think they are yeah somebody else out there does
2: I would say that if your self care is involves you playing uh, thousands of hours uh, of Skyrim for the billionth time, uh, mm-hmm. that it's valid and no one should make fun of you. Um, and I'm definitely not r- directing this to my partner. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it just works.
0: <laughs> hey, it's yeah. whatever helps. You know, yes. it's a yeah. healthy alternative to many, many, many other things.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm aware yeah. we have other games in the house, okay? <laughs> but I just want to play Skyrim for the five billionth time, okay? I know I started a new game like two weeks ago, but let me start a new one. Yeah. Thank you.
0: Alex, do you like <laughs> Skyrim?
2: <laughs> not really. I mean, it's okay. It's not like my favorite <laughs> Elder Scrolls games, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: it for today's topic and... Um, listeners, if you're interested in checking out our other podcast episodes or any of our blog posts, we have many of them. You can look them up on iTunes or on our blog at womeninarchaeology.com. Our Twitter is at womenarchies, and our email is womeninarchaeology at gmail.com. Please- because we would
3: love to hear, because we would love to hear from you and any of your thoughts on this topic, especially. So send us an email, at Twitter post. Um, or otherwise contact us if you have something more to say
0: yeah or if you'd like to join us we love having guests it's fun yes (laughs) we really do and um listen to alex's podcast and alex what is your twitter handle Uh, My Twitter handle,
2: eh, my Twitter handle, I can speak, is uh, Archaeology Fits. I definitely didn't just have to think about it, even though I'm (laughs) on Twitter all the time. But if you want to see me complain about everything, um, yeah, highly recommend it. Great experience. And
0: where can they listen to your podcast?
2: Uh, Basically anywhere. Uh, We're on the Archaeology Podcast Network uh, website, but you can also find us on iTunes. Well,
0: Ladies, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Yes, of thank course. Thank you for hosting. It was great. I'm
0: very happy to have you and listeners, thank you for listening.